Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters Podcast. I'm Arnaud Richard, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Finbar Kirwan, Senior Vice President, Chief of Olympic Sport at United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee and former Director of Performance. Finn and his team have a great responsibility to provide athletes best conditions to perform and keep leading the Olympic medal table. And it is way more complex than it seems. We will speak about planning Olympic cycles, where and how to invest in talents, areas of innovations to drive competitive advantage, and much more. A deep dive into the world of high performance and innovation with Finbar Kewan. And before we start this episode, many thanks to Sportsmanias, presenting partner of SIS Masters podcast. Sportsmanias is a creative digital agency recognized as the industry leader in animated emojis and augmented reality effects, connecting partners and brands with fans' conversations on every major mobile messaging and social media platform. Sportsmanias emojis and AR effects have driven over 15 billion views to date. 15 billion. Feel free to check out sportsmanias.com. Hey, Finn, how are you today in Colorado? I am excellent, Arno. Thank you. Um, all is good in my world. I hope all is good with you. All is fantastic here in Mexico. Finn, before we get into what you're fantastically good at, um, I'd like to know, how did you fall in love with sport and what sport? Wow. Okay. Well, we'll go back to the beginning then. So for me, I've had a, a lifelong connection with sport. My family uh, are deeply embedded in sport in Ireland and have, um, uh, I've got nephews and nieces and so forth that are involved heavily in sport. Uh, when I was growing up, it was just part of our life. It's just what we did. We, you know, we played football on the street uh we went running uh we watched sport we were it was just everywhere and uh for me what really um so outside of sort of the standard practice of just being a kid and having fun with sport what really triggered my love for olympic sport in particular was the los angeles olympics in 1984 and i was i was only a kid i was 13 at the time and Uh, it was uh, it was big TV in Ireland, and Ireland's a very small country, and we don't really we didn't really have many athletes that could project onto the Olympic podium. It was very difficult for them to do that. And in 1984, there was an athlete called John Tracy, and he won an Olympic medal in the marathon. And I remember watching that race in the heat of LA, and uh, it was just fabulous. Like it just the crowds finishing in the Coliseum. He had to sprint in the last lap to beat Charlie Spedding from the UK to win the silver medal. And it was just joyous really to watch it. And it was a real national moment. And uh, and that's what caught my attention on Olympic sport. And, um, and you know, I, I started running a little bit then and I, I joined a running club and um, a lot of things sort of came from that moment but i would say for me it all goes back to la in 84 it's like everything was in my view I, I just the world of sport was immense like and it was so different to what i had experienced in ireland to watch it on tv 
that sport could be this massive. So uh, that that's what got me started. And I've been involved in sport my whole life, either as a participant or a leader or, you know, a team leader or whatever it might be. I've I've had a role. So it's been great. I love it. And I continue to love it. So 13 years old. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that this Coliseum Stadium is going to host his third Olympics. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And such history and such an opportunity for for us as a as a country and for Team USA athletes to to relive that history and have their moment in the Coliseum. It's just what an ex what an experience. <laughs> You're still practicing a lot, right? Yeah, well, we're, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of work is being done. I'll tell you that. A lot of work is being done to prepare. And uh, we're, you know, five and a half years out or whatever it is. Um, so much work still to be done, but we're, we were actually out there last week meeting with colleagues and um, so much work, but it's exciting. Yeah. And it, so you were 13, you were inspired by the Olympics with an Irish Uh, marathon runner and at one point a few years later you became you were leading the high performance from the Irish Olympic Committee <laughs> that's how you got discovered by the US Olympic Committee at that time yeah so I was actually Manage. working with <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, it's very um, I, I got a couple of lucky breaks and one of the most Um, remarkable breaks that I got was from the man that won that medal, right? John Tracy was the chief executive of Sport Ireland. Now it was Irish Sports Council at the time. And the guy that inspired me to get into sport hired me into uh, the Irish Sports Council when I was um, uh, in my Uh, early 30s I had a business career in in the US for a while and um uh, and John hired me in and uh he took a risk on me and uh because I didn't I didn't come from a sports administration background I came from a business administration background um but he saw my passion for sport and um so uh, remarkably the guy that inspired me in 1984 was the guy that hired me in 2003 Um, How did into, this happen? You send your curriculum and... Yep. I saw an opportunity and uh, I was living in Boston at the time. I was working there and I was running there. And uh, my wife and I decided, hey, let's let's go for it. And uh, I flew back to Ireland and I was, I was offered the job. And I think they were looking for different skills like project management and uh, being able to manage relationships and good communication and project planning and so forth. And I, I had that experience and I had a passion for sport. And if I've learned anything in, in this career that I've had, it's if an opportunity arises, you got to jump for it, jump at it, get after it. And um, that was not given to you. You went for it. I went for it. Yeah. You got to go for it. Yeah. And, um, and they hired me and, uh, and I worked there for, uh, for 10 years. I, what a wonderful run. And it was, um, I worked, Athens, 2004, Beijing in 2008, and London in 2012. And uh, uh, Team Ireland went from, uh, yeah, zero medals in Athens to six medals in uh, London. And it was London was a wonderful performance for the team. The athletes were brilliant. And 
uh, with that, then I got I got recruited to the U.S. to come and work for Team USA, and I've been here since 2013, and that has been that has been a wild ride as well, and so much fun. Ten years. So you started the U.S. Olympic Committee. No, it's U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee at that time. Yeah. So it was Olympic Committee uh, as a director of performance. So that's leading, well, trying to get medals, and yep. now you are the senior vice president. Chief of Olympic Sports, which is a mystery to me. What does it mean? <laughs> so that's been quite the journey. When I got my first job as high performance director here, I worked with six sports, and uh, it was a very clear um, job description that I had, and that was to help uh, those those sports win more medals. You know, they're, they're in summer sport, and um, included in those. Six sports were swimming and athletics. And so that was a, there was a big responsibility. Those two sports alone for Team USA, you know, they account for close to 60% of all of the medals that the team wins. And uh, and we had, I started in 2013, and then uh, we, we put some pretty good programs in place with swimming and athletics. And we had very successful games in Rio. Uh, those two sports, I think, won 65 medals alone. And uh, and with that, then I, I sort of I got promoted within the organization from there. And um, and I'm in the role that I'm in now, which is a little bit further removed from the track and the pool and more um, sort of at a leadership and administration role. Um, but ultimately, my job. It's to help and empower really our, our athletes to succeed on the field of play. So we're looking to optimize performance on the field of play for our athletes. So with all of the fancy titles and all of the the stuff that goes on with the job, if I was to if I was to distill it down to a single statement of work, it is help Team USA athletes on the field of play to succeed and optimize their performance. That's what we do. Uh, how do you do that because sports in the US it's a lot high school very important then college within TA in most sports um, also federation on the side so what is the role of an Olympic committee in the US might be very different from European countries or Latin American countries uh, what is the role how do you really support how do we what, what, how do you identify needs yeah. and what to be done so we work, we work very closely with the national governing bodies of sport here. And uh, we, uh, in the US OPC, we do not get government funding. So we um, we are the funder of Olympic sport um, in, in the United States. So it's not government that funds Olympic sport. So uh, we, have, we have financial resources that we can allocate to the sports. We have sports science resources, sports medicine, technology, innovation, uh, Olympic training centers, Paralympic training centers. Um, and what we do is we develop a plan with each of the sports to integrate all of those uh, supports into uh, a single plan directed towards the Olympic Games. And, uh, our, we, and we are basically investors in in talent and our job is to optimize the investment so that team USA in the summer games can win in Paris. That's our target. We want to win in Paris. Um, 
and we want to hit the podium in Milan Cortina. So there's, uh, and then in turn in 2028, we want to, we want to have an exceptional games in 2028 and we want the experience for the athletes from all over the world in, uh, in LA in 28 to be the most incredible Olympic experience they've ever had you know, or they've ever seen. And that is our goal. Oh, we are investors in talents. That's nice yeah. one. Um, so you finance a lot of the activities that support the athletes, um, transversal services, facilities, training camps, and so on. How do you define which sports to invest in? And how do you work with the do you work with the federations to develop the plan or or with the colleges or yeah? So a couple of a couple of great questions, a couple of uh, aspects to that. So we partner very closely with the the federations and uh they are the experts in their sport okay and what what we look for the really five core components that we look at when we invest in a sport uh the first is the quality of the athletes and the talent pipeline that exists within that sport and is, is it a pipeline that projects to olympic success Uh, the second then is the quality of coaching. So is there a high standard of coaching available to the, the most talented athletes? Uh, the third is the training environment for the athletes. So that could be the training facilities. It could be the support services wrapped around those athletes, sports science, sports medicine, uh, mental health support, all of those things. Um, and we also look at the the competition landscape so are those athletes competing at the very highest level internationally and if they are how how are they doing like and we have a, a data analytics performance data analytics team whose job it is is to is to look at how we're performing and uh so we try to combine both the subjective and objective assessment uh, and then the fifth and final component that we would we we'd look closely at is the structure of the federation. So the board, the CEO, and the high performance director, let's say, is three key components in the governance of the sport. If those three are aligned and there's a strong connection and a commitment to high performance within that sport, there's a good chance that they're going to succeed on the field of play. So that's really it. It's like athletes, coaches, training environment, um, competition environment, and then organizational structure. Hmm. What about if one sport is lacking quality of athletes, but it's been an historical sport uh, giving medals? It could happen, no? that generation is not that performant. Do you still, would you still support the development of that sport because you identify it's part of the culture, it's part, we need to move on and we need to track new athletes? My question goes, so you've got five principal criteria what if one of those is missing? Yeah, there are very few sports where every one of the five is is locked in and perfect. Um, and, I, and, you know, there's a couple, but very few. And it's a hard business. Like you can't, it's hard to get all those five things moving in the same direction at a high high, high standard or high quality. Uh, what, what we do is we are committed to taking a long-term view to the development of a sport. So we understand that there are there are situations like it's sport. I mean, we it, 
we play sport for a reason because the outcome is unknown. And I think um, what uh, what we like to do is we take a longer term view. And if the plan is strong and if the sport and the federation is committed to the delivery of the plan and if there is a, a blip on the radar, then, OK, we accept that. We understand that. But if it's a consistent set of underperformances, then we have to we have to look at our investment because we have finite resources. We cannot invest you know, equally across every sport because um, the, the the funding is not like, it's not a democracy. Like, it's not like everybody has an equal vote. It's it's a meritocracy and we have to make it as such, you know? So, um, so it's challenging. We try to take a long-term view. And I do think we've got better in our assessment with the performance data because what we can see is, okay, maybe this year it's not great. But next year, that talent that's coming through at under 23 level, let's say, or junior level, that is going to perform on the world stage because they're doing it at, at age group level. So so I think our, our data set is improving uh, and we have very strong relationships with the sports. And, you know, it's those, for the most part, are very trusting and deep relationships formed over many years. When you speak about long-term view, we used to, you're talking about projects of how long what is a long-term view in your case i mean for us i mean we're um i mean a good example for us is maybe you know field hockey um they didn't qualify in um tokyo it was tough you know they missed qualification it was tough but but they put a you know they put new coaching and high performance leadership in place they've worked hard to 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 present to us what what they see the vision will look like. Um, and they're looking to have a really great games in LA in 2028. And we want to support them in that journey. And we recognize that sometimes just, you know, in sport, it, it doesn't go always to plan. Um, so uh, so for us, we're, our attention is right this moment very much on Paris and making sure we execute in Paris. But we're also extending out that five, six-year window to make sure that we have a team that represents the U.S. Um, at the to an exceptional level in L.A. So mm. I would say our window right now is L.A. plus, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we've got a strong team following L.A. as well. So it goes beyond, generally it goes beyond one Olympic cycle. Yes. Yeah. And it's a meritocracy. So you were mentioning that six sports, up to two sports in Rio, we're having 65% of the medals alone, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, considering the number of medals, if you had six, it's easy, but. <laughs> so uh, they had 65 of 121. So that's just over whatever. The, I don't know exact, the exact. Well, we, the, the whole team won 121 and swimming and track and field won 65. Is that, does it mean, does it represent a proportion of the investments yet that you do into sports? Uh, it, not, not, not exactly. Uh, we have a heavy investment in team sports as well because we recognize the value of, uh, team sports and the impact that they can have on the nation. Um, mm. like, and the tradition, like our women's water polo team, what an exceptional team, women's volleyball. Uh, they were just exceptional in, in Tokyo and, uh, we want to, so we recognize that there that might just be one medal, but there may well be there are multiple medalists in that. So we we are uh, we also want to make sure that we invest in the team sports at a high level so that they can get their opportunity to succeed. 
It's funny that you say that because if you look at a country like the US, so it's mostly individual sports and a country like France, it's mostly collective sports. Yeah. <laughs> Different. Yeah. So we, we it's hard for us because we have to find the balance. Um because you know where where you have two sports winning 60 medals then you know that they need to receive the investment they've they, they have a lot of activity that they need to undertake and to support their athletes but um so that's the challenge that we face and in investors in talent that's the challenge and head of summer uh, head of sorry olympic sports not summer sports olympic sports that means you're also in charge of all the planning of the good operation of the games, getting ready for the games and operating the games. How different was it to prepare Tokyo? And how did you feel it and the games itself and from preparing Paris? Yeah, so so I will say uh, we have a wonderful games operations team and, and their very precise role is to um, help Team USA deliver the game's experience okay so logistical preparation and training camp setup and so forth so uh, so it's a shared responsibility uh, my colleague uh, dean nakamura oversees that game's operations we've wonderful relationship and uh, the challenges we face in tokyo were unprecedented we uh with covid and uh, the the protocols that were in place to ensure that the games went off. They were, those protocols were very, very strict and we had to follow the protocols. And the the thing that we had to do for Tokyo was, it was a very complex environment. And the thing that was needed was to simplify the mission as much as possible. And by simplifying the mission, we, we really got it down to three things. And that was number one, get the team there safely and in line with the protocols and healthy. Get them there. That was number one. Number two was optimize the training environment in Tokyo and the preparation environment in Tokyo so the athletes had the best possible chance to succeed, um, which they did, and they were absolutely wonderful. And then the third was get them home safely. And when when that plane landed back in <laughs> back in the U.S. after Tokyo, there was a lot of relieved people with our team home safe and having succeeded and performed at a very high level. We were enormously proud of them as a, as athletes and proud of ourselves as the team behind the team. Yeah. And you were, I remember one day when we were speaking, you, you were impressed by the dedication of the athletes but you're going to explain it way better considering that context with empty stadiums, which so much protocol and still the performance, mm. not only winning, but the, um, the value of the performance was super high. Super high. So that that's the lasting impression I have of the games. Like logistically, it was super difficult, very, very difficult. Um, the most challenging thing that I've ever been involved with. And I, I was, Uh, very, very fortunate to have a brilliant team to work with, like um, of colleagues here at the USOPC. Um, the team behind the team was exceptional for Tokyo and Beijing. Um, the thing that stayed with me the most, though, was the level of intensity. So the stadiums were empty and uh, it 
for us, it was like, oh, that's it must be very difficult for the athletes. Like they got to go out onto the track, let's say, and it's an 80,000 seater stadium and there's maybe 500 people, staff, coaches and other athletes. That's it. Nobody else. It's an empty stadium. But the level of intensity on the track, let's use tra- athletics as an example. The level of intensity was was incredible. I was I was it's one of the great career moments for me to see athletes get warm up on the track, get get out onto it and decide that they're just going to have an absolute throwdown of a race and they're getting after it. And it is sport at its most basic competitive level. Um, And the example that I think of all of the time is the men's 1500 meters uh, in Tokyo, 12 of the best milers in the world qualify for the final they show up it is boiling hot and i remember the smell in the stadium i remember the heat the humidity and the challenges that the athletes faced in the environment and there were no fans there were there was maybe 200 people in this of, of a 65 70,000 seater stadium and they ran an olympic record they the second the gun went they went out and they ran 56 lap, second lap, 55, 55, and they closed super fast. And um, Jakub Inkebritsen won the race. Um, Cole Hawker for Team USA was sixth. But I was just blown away by the the, the standard of competition in the most difficult of, of environments. And it just speaks to athletes at that level. They don't care. They, they, they compete against each other. They compete to win. And... Uh, they are truly exceptional. It was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. I like. I thought they'd be super slow, and then it'd be a little sprint at the end because of the the absence of energy in the stadium. But no, they went for it. How different it is for Paris. Well, we're we're uh, we're very very excited for Paris. I have to say, and um, we have wonderful memories of Tokyo, and those memories are are uh, anchored really to the idea of adversity and resilience and um, overcoming difficult situations. And the perspective on Paris is different. Perspective on Paris is that we'll have full stadiums, uh, we'll have sort of a joyous experience and hopefully a, a reimagining of the games after two COVID games and two pandemic games, and just a reimagining of what the Olympics really means and the, the coming together of so many fans and uh, wonderful athletes and, you know, no COVID protocols, hopefully. And, and that, that, that excitement. And, and I think there's a lot of excitement for us as a team and in, in preparing for it. And, you know, we're less, we're less than 18 months away from opening ceremony and we're very, very excited for it. Lots of different plans, different planning process for us from the prior games. But I would say the basic, fundamental feeling that we have is one of renewal and excitement hmm. it's uh, interesting 13 years old you were inspired by the olympics tokyo you were still impressed by the level of commitment and dedication by the athletes do you think that the olympic dream is still inspiring youth generations what are the trends that are impacting so I, I I understand that I'm a I'm a man of a certain age. I'm a middle aged man, and I, my my inspiration came from the '80s, and that is not the case anymore. And I think that um, 
I think the IOC is is fully aware of that. That is a personal view. I think they're fully aware that the the games as they evolve will need to evolve to a new audience that is not me. And that that what I've seen and what we have seen is, I mean, the introduction of new sports like surfing and skateboarding and uh, you know breaking for uh, Paris uh, and you know hopefully one or two new sports coming in in Los Angeles as well. I think we're seeing the the sport program evolve to address a new audience. Um, so uh, I'm very hopeful on that. I'm very hopeful that the next generation and the generation that are behind them uh, are inspired by it. And uh, that is certainly something we're seeing with Los Angeles in 28 is that it's, it's it, the desire for it to be a kind of renewal of the idea of the Olympics and the Paralympics. Um, and uh, a reinvigoration of of that experience, and you know, there are hopefully many thirteen year olds just like me looking at it in twenty four in Paris and Milan Cortina in twenty six and LA in twenty eight, and they're just inspired by it. But I think the program is evolving to to recognize that. And as there any in your US experience, do you see any challengers in some sports to attract talents? Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, we are blessed. In the, I, I'll speak to the U.S. program. Yeah. We are blessed with an incredible talent pipeline of high school sports and then the NCAA collegiate environment. And then from there out to the Olympic Games. I mean, if you look at track and field in the U.S., I think there are over a million kids engaged in track and field in high school. And, you know, maybe that that cuts down to maybe 100,000 in college. And then in turn, that cuts down to those that go pro. And then in turn, it cuts down to those that make Olympic trials. And then in turn, we're left with a team of maybe 120, let's say, athletes in track and field. But it starts with a million kids. You know, it starts with a million kids doing it. And so we are, I think we are blessed that that high school system and the collegiate system is a natural evolving pipeline. And um, we have to protect that pipeline. That's that's critical to our success. Um, but I, I do see, I think there are some sports then that are, you know, that are potentially, I won't call them out because it wouldn't be appropriate. But I mean, I, I don't know if they're contemporary in the minds of, of younger uh, athletes. Uh, and that's why I think we're seeing the program evolve. And there, there are specific... Maybe it's not your area specifically, but are there any initiatives to protect that pipeline? I mean, you're blessed now in many sports. Yeah. Uh, of course, one million kids practicing track and field compared to other countries, it's it's massive. Um, what kind of initiatives can you take to protect the pipeline? Yeah, so I think, um, Arno, the key thing for us is there's a lot of change in the NCAA system at the moment. Mm. And um, there's a lot of attention put on the necessity uh, to recognize sort of the income that's generated by football and basketball. Uh, and, and our role, and we're taking an active role in this, we have a collegiate partnerships team. Our role really is to make sure that the Olympic and Paralympic pipeline in college is protected despite these changes and evolving um, movement in in college sport. Uh, 
so we have some really talented colleagues who are working closely with the NCAA uh, to ensure that they recognize the the value that they bring to Team USA's Olympic and Paralympic program. And um, so we're with a lot of programs underway, um, sort of amplifying the message really of, of the importance of the role of colleges in our pipeline uh, and making sure that key decision makers in that environment, in the NCAA environment, that those key decision makers have an understanding and appreciation of of the importance of their role in supporting Team USA. So um, hmm. lots of different programs underway, lots of building of awareness uh, and lots of advocacy with key decision makers in, in, that, in that environment. So not making the two superpowers, American football and basketball, taking over the rest. Yeah. Hmm. Challenging. Yeah. Does the new NCAA as a new rule allowing athletes in college to have a sponsorship, is it helping uh, drive interest for athletes in different sports to go to college and and make money? I th I think we're seeing it. I mean, obviously, in football and basketball, athletes now have the opportunity to do that, um, and some some are doing, you know, making serious money to to uh, with their name image likeness. Um, opportunities so that that nil uh, component of the college experience for the athlete um what we're seeing in some of the sports i mean gymnastics swimming track and field some of the bigger olympic sports uh you are seeing opportunities arise for for some of the athletes to take full advantage of that as well um but it is not to the same extent as basketball and football those are the two where we see Where we see the most opportunity for um, monetizing name and image. Mm, okay, going back to Los Angeles. Los Angeles, obviously, fantastic comeback of the games in the US and Los Angeles. Um, big target for you, a big goal uh, for you and the whole, the whole team. Um, what the, what is the role of data and tech to get better in Los Angeles? Because the process of an athlete is a mid and long-term process you can make an athlete in two years that's not possible but so what is the role of data and tech and what are the initiatives you take to find this very small but so important competitive advantage for an athlete yeah so we're we um we're making a concerted effort to continue to expand our uh, scope really in that area uh, we have a a performance and innovation advisory board. We've representation from a number of the biggest venture capital companies in the world based in Silicon Valley. We representatives from Apple, um, uh, Logitech. We're, we're blessed with very smart people who want to help us to succeed in the performance innovation space. And when I speak of performance innovation, I mean, technology innovation and performance data uh, and uh, so we we are very fortunate that we have access to their um, resources uh, so financial resources their personal resources that they make available to us but also their network and um, the network that these people have is exceptional in in this performance innovation space so uh, so firstly we are 
really working hard to accelerate in that space. And we were behind in the past. We were like, we're, if I'm honest, we were behind and we are we're accelerating behind now. Behind who? Oh, I mean, behind many other nations like uh, Canada, New Zealand, Britain. Is that uh, right? Oh, for sure. In the past. Oh. Uh, but we're working, yeah, we're working hard now to accelerate past that or at least catch up. Um, I mean, a, a good example would be Germany in the sliding sports. I mean, Germany, German technology in luge, skeleton, bobsled is exceptional. And uh, we are not up to that standard. So we have work to do in there, in that concept of uh, equipment optimization and aerodynamics in the winter sports. Um, but, but for LA, uh, we... So obviously we've got a whole bunch of areas we're really interested in, like motion capture, artificial intelligence, wearables, um, aerodynamics, um, and these are these are areas that we are building out capabilities and expertise in. Um, but more broadly, there's we're also looking at the concept of athlete wellness and athlete health, and utilizing technology to promote that and ensure. Two things. What we know for sure is that athletes, if they're Team USA athletes in both summer and winter games, particularly in summer, if they're healthy and they go to the line uh, healthy, there's a good chance that Team USA will contend to win the Olympic Games if we have a healthy team. Mm. Um, so a lot of focus on that. The other thing then is is the longer-term perspective on athlete care and long-term physical and mental wellness um so we're collaborating closely with our sports medicine colleagues to make sure that that's the case so one of the the key points for us as we work through the next number of years is how do we integrate great technology to enhance athlete performance but also athlete wellness so what is the innovation process in that if you if you just choose one of the areas you you start digging in uh what is the innovation process so you've got these great minds advisors and financing then how do you choose projects how do you work with how do you test how does it work because it's yeah it's not simple to interrupt a routine that is the routine of the coaches who know how to do things in a certain way yeah so for the most part uh the the general rule is do no harm in the last year <laughs> so as we prepare for Paris, you know, the, the number of initiatives that we would want to roll out will be very limited with summer sports because you must protect that window of, of one year event because that's there's nothing really that a technology will do, I think, that will broadly influence an outcome for an athlete in that final window. Um, but uh, what we do do in, in general terms is we collaborate very closely with the sports, with the federations, and... Um, we're looking to identify gaps in their innovation program. And uh, we we will bring this forward. So we had a winter sports summit in Salt Lake City a couple of months back. And we talked about this. We talked about where are the gaps and where what gaps need to be filled. We spoke at length about aerodynamics and equipment optimization. So uh, some of it is um, conversation and ideation that exists between us and our partners in the federations. Uh, some of it is ideation that comes from within our organization. And it may be a multi-sport project that has value. And then some of it may be coming from our advisory board partners who are saying, hey, do you know what's going on in 
artificial intelligence right now. So a GPT-3 will be GPT-4 in X number of months, and it's going to have a 500x capability. And are you aware of this? And what happens is then we start thinking about what we hear from these guys who are at the forefront of technology. And we start to think about how do we ideate from that? Like, how can we use artificial intelligence to reduce the administrative burden within our organization and within the federations? Or how do we use artificial intelligence to optimize how we, you know, selection for athletes or optimize the wellness and care given to athletes? Um, so, uh, so a number of different ways for this to happen. It can be ideation through great conversations with some incredibly bright people. It can be working with federations or it can be coming from within our own organization. And the athletes themselves as a part of the process? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that more and more as we look at how we allocate resources, more and more the athlete voice is central to that process. And um, um, beyond just performance innovation, uh, we are now uh, actively engaging with athletes and our athletes advisory council on how we allocate resources on behalf of athletes and in support of athletes. So um, that's been a really important step in the last number of years is that athlete voice in the allocation of resources. Are you a strong believer that the performance will keep improving and improving and improving of the athletes? Because we see such results, you say, how can we do better? <laughs> and so some ways, it's always someone coming and making it better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, this is what this is what I think. I think technology evolves, um, and we've seen it in track and field with the shoes. You know, with a change in uh, running shoes, uh, change in spike technology, uh, change in track technology. So, so you know, there's going to be advancements in in the technology available to athletes that is within the rules. Um, so that's going to happen. And I think that has a, a naturally amplifying effect to performance. Um, I also think that athletes are, are are way more engaged in their own care than, uh, you know, they're way more informed now with regards to training protocols, uh, what they expect from their coaches, um, how they compete, how they travel, how they rest, how they recover, all of the the availability of information has sort of uh, opened up a, a window of opportunity, I think, for athletes that wasn't there before. It was much more inaccessible and information is far more accessible now, which I think leads to just betting better training protocols. Like, yeah, I, I think people are better because information is more accessible. Knowledge. And how do you maintain this? How do you protect that, that knowledge? Uh, because we see a lot of startups and their goal is to make an MVP with a sports organization and sell it to others because they need yeah. to make business. <laughs> and also one of the big sports performance experts in soccer told one day in one of our summits, you know what, it's, the tools are improving and we can all get access to the tools, but our secret sauce is how to use it and how yeah. to use the data. So how do you protect that knowledge and get the best of it. So that I, I would 100% agree with that. It's it's the information is there. It's how you use the information is going to be the secret sauce, really. 
Um, one, one thing that we're very much focused on is uh, integrating support to the athlete. So sports science, sports medicine, training center access, financial support, access to competitions. If that's integrated into a single plan and the athlete has control and a say over how that plan is executed and delivered, it makes for much better outcomes. Um, where information is there, but it's used in a kind of a piecemeal way and in a part-by-part -part way rather than in an integrated approach, that's where I think things, you don't get the optimized approach really. Uh, so I think that the key is you can have all the information in the world, but if you don't have that expertise to bring it together into a single coherent plan, then that's that's where things, you don't get the value. And we see it with great coaches. Great coaches know how to bring all of the aspects. They don't have to be the expert in any one thing, but they do have to be expert in identifying and bringing together the key components for uh, for great athletes. And when you have great coaches and great athletes intersecting, that's where the magic happens. Hmm. So that goes along with willingness to embrace change and new technologies. Yeah. We, we, um, I think the very best athletes, one of the, one of the most exciting things about working with athletes is they're, they're really entrepreneurial. Like they, they find a way to succeed and, um, if it's not working, they'll drop it. And they'll tell you they're dropping it for a reason. It might be a technology or it might be a, a service provider they're not happy with. Uh, or it might be a competition that they went to that they say, we're never going back there. But that they're they're direct and they're entrepreneurial. And uh, part of what we have to do is to help kind of guide that and move that along. Um, but athletes vote you feel, with their feet. You, you feel the same with the coaches? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best coaches evolve like with with each season they understand listen I, no they will have they will have fundamental principles that their program is based on and anchored around around behaviors around uh training protocols um and around what they expect from the athletes and the commitment from the athletes but also they know how to evolve and i mean the the great coaches will be able to adapt to the needs of the athlete that's like it's a mindset um, yeah it's a mindset yeah. i mean like bob bowman coached michael phelps for you know decades and bob evolved from coaching a high school kid to a, a father of children you know like he just and bob had to evolve over time uh to to be the the great coach that he is for michael to support him hmm. Before we go to a final series of questions, what would you say you're the most proud of in what you've done to last year? Um, I'll tell you. I'm, I, well, firstly, I'm proud of my work in Ireland. Uh, it was a, it was a it, it's a it's a small nation with you know relatively limited resources, and it really did. And you know my my experience is London of 2012, so that well, that's 11 years ago. So that's a long way back, but I am proud of that because I think Irish athletes now contend at the world level and have a confidence that I don't think they had in the past. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that there's structures in place that other colleagues now have built on and made into something fantastic. And a, a really um, strong support system is in place for athletes in Ireland. So I'm proud to have played some part in that. Uh, I'm also proud to be able to adapt then into a, a massive team, like the team in the US with 600 athletes, 620 maybe in Tokyo. It's a massive, massive team. And uh, my my own sort of personal growth to be able to adapt in that environment and grow and uh, and be humble enough to accept the mistakes and enjoy the successes quietly. That that's what I'm proud of. And um and in particular, I'm really proud of being part of the team that uh supported Team USA in Beijing and Tokyo because of the pandemic. It was very, very difficult to uh to pull that project off and and Team USA pulled it off. And the athletes just were exceptional, as I said. I mean, it was incredible to watch. Hmm. You're very humble. Um, <laughs> uh, last set of questions. Quick questions, quick answers. Okay. Who's your favorite all-time athlete and why? Um, I have. Uh, you can mention. I have two. two. Um, can I have two? Yeah. Um, I uh, as as a as a mark of respect to my former boss, John Tracy's silver medal in LA, nineteen eighty four. What a performance! Like it's you know it was brilliant. No Irishman really had stepped up and uh delivered a performance like that in in that really taxing environment um and he was great so that's one um and then i had the distinct pleasure of watching michael phelps compete and uh he trained at our olympic training center here and he uh he's a brilliant athlete uh brilliant uh leader and professional and His performances, I got to see them in 2016, and it's just exceptional. I didn't get to see two. I saw 2008 when I was working for Ireland, so I was just in awe of what I saw. But I was able to see the preparation for 2016 and uh, his commitment to the work and the craft. Um, seeing him here at the Olympic Training Center, and every day in day out doing the work and being and having the true gift in sport to watch. A guy like that train and and prepare that was exceptional and a very nice guy as well we had the pleasure to welcome him in mexico and make him come and exhibitions clinics and oh what a nice yeah. guy yeah very generous with his time and just a, a good person your favorite coach oh okay yeah i'm gonna go with this one my favorite coach is uh oh Well, my friend, my really close friend is Billy Walsh, who's the head boxing coach for Team USA. And Billy, uh, I helped recruit Billy over from Ireland uh, to run the US program after the London Olympics. And uh, Billy transformed the Irish program. He was made World Boxing Coach of the Year, I think, in 2016. Uh, and then the team won three medals. Team USA won three medals, I think, or four, three in. Tokyo, and he is building something great with that program. So um, Billy's a close, close friend. I love his work. I love his style and his skill. He's brilliant tactician, technically brilliant, but his real skill 
is communication and empathy for the athletes. Loving the athletes. What is your favorite event? So my my favorite event, I would say, is um, um, on the track. It's the men's 1500 meters. Um, I also, as I learn more and more about winter sport, I have an appreciation for the sliding sports. And uh, I got to spend some time at Lake Placid earlier this year and I watched Skeleton and it is brilliant insanity it's fantastic so we have you know we have i, I just love those athletes um so i would say um i love i love watching downhill skiing as well the skill the beauty of it it's fantastic so i don't know i'm not giving you a direct answer but certainly the 1500 meters for into the in the uh, on the track but surprising answer uh what is your favorite word my favorite word resilience hmm. One great advice you have received or learned you would like to share. Uh, there are three important things in a career, relationships, communication, and execution. And if you get those three things right, there's a good chance you're going to do okay. Well, that one. What profession, oceans and news, would you like to attempt? Or would you have liked to attempt? Um, good Lord. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to think outside of this. Um, <laughs> that's fair enough <laughs> yeah I, I'm I'm a very competitive person so maybe some I don't know maybe a bond trader from the 1980s or something I don't know some something that's hyper competitive but that's a blessing and a curse for me unfortunately <laughs> if you had one hour one more hour every day what would you do if I had one more hour every day um I, I'd spend it with my family. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did okay. You didn't let me down. <laughs> Competitive. That's cool. Thank you so much, Finn, for your time with us at SIS Masters podcast. Wish you the best. We'll see you in Paris. We'll see you in Los Angeles with for your, everything you do. You're great at what you do and always inspiring us. So thanks, Finn, a lot for your time. Thank you, Arno. Uh, love having these conversations with you and um, take care and look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.